Um, before I went to seminary, I worked a couple years in, in ministry as a layperson in campus ministry at Georgetown University in Washington, D.C., which is a, a Roman Catholic school in the Jesuit tradition. Um, and, uh, of course, I'm not a Jesuit. I'm not Roman Catholic. So there is a, there's a spirit of ecumenism, ecumenical ministry. What I mean by that is uh, interdenominational ministry on the campus. Even though it's a Catholic school, only about 50% of the student body are Roman Catholic. So there are uh, Protestant, Jewish, Muslim, uh, Orthodox chaplaincies on campus. So I worked for the Protestant chaplaincy. But um, we had a lot of uh, ecumenical dialogue and uh, ministries between Roman Catholics and Protestants. And even within Protestant, uh, the Protestant chaplaincy, there were tons of different denominations. Uh, and uh, the, the Orthodox chaplain as well, working with him. It was kind of a, a, a running joke. Anytime we had a, a, a team meeting, it was like a rabbi, a priest, a preacher, and a nun walk into a room. It's our meeting. <laughs> so that was really like what the, the spirit of that place was like. And this is a, a common phenomenon, ecumenical ministry around the world, uh, especially in places like Europe, there are dialogues uh, between Roman Catholic and Anglican, Roman Catholic, Anglican, and Orthodox to talk about our differences and places where we uh, share things in common. And even within the, the Episcopal Church and Anglicanism, even though it's one denomination, we try to uh, very hard to hold uh, together many different factions of Christians that have a sort of different ethos, or we might say uh, churchmanship across the ideological uh, spectrum. And it's not, it's not for the sake of compromise, but for the sake of comprehension, um, the, the sense of comprehensiveness within Anglicanism. And then after I went, after I worked for a couple years there at Georgetown University, I went to Yale Divinity School, which is an ecumenical uh, divinity school environment. And I went there partly because of that, because at the time I thought, um, you know, that kind of work was really important um, to, to, to be interacting with people, not just from my own denomination, but from others uh, for the sake of perhaps things like reconciliation or um, to, to just sort of get along better, you know. Um, and uh, often in this context of ecumenical ministry and dialogue, our passage from today that I just read is cited. The high priestly prayer. Uh, this is Jesus praying in the upper room uh, the night before he would be uh, betrayed. Uh, the night before his arrest, uh, he is praying for a very long time and earshot of his disciples so that they can overhear what he's saying to his father. But as I said, this prayer, especially the passage that I read today, is often cited within this context of ecumenical ministry that we all might be one rather than uh, being divided. And the common rhetorical question in these sort of environments is how can the church uh, bear witness to the good news of Jesus Christ if the church is divided? Um, you know, if we're not getting along, if there are divisions, uh, we look like hypocrites. How can we even begin to share the gospel um, if we don't look like we know it ourselves? But you know what? None of this stuff keeps me up at night. None of this stuff, like, it just, I don't really think about it. It's, 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 the, it's the kind of thing that there's a lot of chatter in the world about, uh, especially within the context of Christianity. But to, day to day, I really don't go around thinking about 
these sort of the, the, the fractions between our denominations and within our own denomination. It's just not the kind of thing that stresses me out. And I know there are some people who, with good intentions, really devote their life to this uh, sort of work. Uh, but ultimately, I think ecumenical division is actually a secondary concern. I think it's actually a secondary concern. It's just the, you know, these divisions are the fruit of a sinful humanity. Christians are still sinners. And of course, there's going to be division uh, this side of Jordan. Before Christ comes back, there will always be denominations. It's just the way of the world. Um, and so to be constantly concerned about these things is kind of like being concerned about like the uh, post office or the IRS, or the sort of like Kiwanis Club, or something like that. It's just to, to be caught up, and we so easily do this, to be caught up in institutions. This is really what I'm talking about. Uh, to be caught up in ideas about uh, uh, church uh, institutions is a lot like thinking about um, government institutions. I know it's not exactly the same, but it kind of feels that way to me. Um, and so the disunity and my close relationships are the thing that concern me more, is of much more of a primary concern. That's the thing that keeps me up at night, is the disunity between me and another brother or sister in Christ. Or beyond that, the disunity between me and another person in the world, regardless of what their faith background, is the kind of thing that uh, gives me a lot of uh, duress and anxiety. Uh, there's this movie that came out several years ago that I think it was produced and directed by Sean Penn. He's not in it. Uh, it's based on a true story uh, called Into the Wild. Has anybody seen Into the Wild? It's about this young man when he graduates college. Um, he sort of rebels against all that's been told him his whole life about, you know, uh, going to college and doing well and then and, and leaving and getting a good job and having a career. Uh, instead, he sells all that he owns or gives it away and all the money in his bank account, for the most part, he just gives away, I think, to Oxfam. And he uh, goes out on the road. He goes out on the road for a long time, um, uh, hitchhiking, riding on trains. And this is like 1990s, early 2000s. This isn't like sort of beatnik Jack Kerouac on boxcars. This is like not too long ago, you know, when uh, pe- people aren't, it's not as common of a thing. But here he is, uh, sort of hitchhiking, riding around on trains. He, he hikes the Pacific uh, Crest Trail. And finally, eventually, he finds himself into the wild in Alaska. Uh, if you want to go into the deepest wilderness in the United States, that's the place to go. And so for the most part in this uh, film, he's by himself. And he's trying, you get the sense that he's trying to kind of get away. But the whole time, half the movie is just like flashbacks to things in his life, uh, relationships between him and ex-girlfriends or siblings or his parents, Um, you know, things that didn't go right, stuff that is still unreconciled, uh, you know, things that, um, joys that he had that uh, he's so far away from. And so here he is when he's trying to get away from it all, and yet these relationships are the things that are bouncing around in his head the whole time. And the sad thing is that he eventually dies in the wilderness. I think he like freezes and starves to death because he gets trapped on the other side of a river that's overflowing. Spoiler alert, sorry about that. But that, 
that's the sort of ultimate, uh, the ultimate end of the, 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 the demise, uh, you know. Uh, and, and my main point, though, what am I trying to say is uh, he's not thinking about institutions, you know. He's not being kept up at night about um, uh, the, the, the company he could have worked for uh, or the state of political parties or, you know, the alumni association of his uh, college that he recently graduated from. He's thinking about individuals in his life. And for the most part, the sort of the fractions, the disunity. And so with that in mind, that the, the, the thing that I said, like, kind of keeps me up at night, the kind of thing that was bouncing around in this young man's mind, think about that. And with that uh, more important uh, specific stuff in mind uh, versus the ecumenical dialogue, uh, let's look at the passage again. Let's look at the passage again. Remember that often so quickly people uh, go to this idea that we all might be one in the sense of, like, you know, no longer any more uh, sort of denominations. But Jesus says, um, I'll just uh, read a couple verses here. I do not ask for these only, these meaning his apostles, uh, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And then skipping down below to verse 25, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you, that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. So Jesus Christ is praying not just for his apostles who are there in the upper room, uh, but individuals who would come who would later come. Basically, he's like in that room 2,000 years ago praying about you. He's praying about me. He's praying about the mystical body of Christ across the expanse of time and the individuals along the way. Uh, He's in that room praying about you and me and not just the apostles who are right there. And uh, so the, the unity of believers isn't through sort of abstract institutional dialogue. Uh, as we see there in the, uh, the uh, what is it, I think it was verse 25, the, 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 the unity is around the word about Jesus and the Father who sent him. May they have unity around uh, the, the, the good news, the, the, the message about who Jesus is, that he's sent by the Father and united to the Father. If you see Jesus, you know God, the Father. Um, you know, people often um, talk to me, uh, when they're talking to me here in the church, they'll say, "I'm." have you heard this phrase before? You only hear it here in the Episcopal Church. People say, I'm a cradle Episcopalian. Maybe you've said that before. Stop saying it. Now, good for you. I always joke back and say, I'm a cradle atheist. <laughs> um, uh, I'm a cradle Episcopalian. Um, well, you know, I gotta say, I'm not here due to any sort of trappings about the Episcopal Church. Our liturgy, the way the building looks, our prayer book, the sort of educated, uh, sort of ethos of the types of people who kind of come around to this sort of church, or, um, you know, the fact that we're kind of a, a blue-blooded sort of ta- type, you know, I'm not here because, um, because, uh, you know, we can, uh, you know, we're a little bit more liberal about the idea of drinking alcohol in a party than other denominations or things like that. I'm not here for any of that stuff. 
I'm a cradle atheist. I'm here because of the Word of God. And I want unity with you and with everyone else in the mystical body of Christ around that idea of who Jesus is. Uh, And someone had to share it with me. Someone had to share that good news with me to get me here to this place that I might share it with you. And what is that word? What is that good news? As John says elsewhere uh, that you well know, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Uh, That's the uh, line that's often on the, the placard at a football game. But this verse after, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Um, well, that's the good news. That's the, uh, the reason why I'm here, and I hope that's the reason why, why, why you're here and not because of anything else. Well, so what? You know, what does uh, this message that John uh, shares for us mean for us sufferers, those who are kept up at night uh, because, not because of the, the IRS as an institution, but because of what our taxes mean, you know? Uh, about me and my wife and trying to get the taxes done. Uh, you know, what does this good news mean for those of us who um, have to live life here and now with other people? And that's so difficult. Uh, I'm trying to make my way through this book by this author named uh, Christian Wyman, who's now at Yale Divinity School, by the way, after I left. Wish, gosh, I wish he were there when I was there. Uh, he's a poet. Uh, this book, My Bright Abyss, is just like every line... I just want to write it down as a quotation. <laughs> it's that dense. Um, and I was reading, uh, I'm almost to the end, and I was uh, just reading uh, recently, he, he started talking about suffering. Well, he talks about suffering a lot, uh, but this one uh, part about suffering I thought is completely applicable to what I'm trying to get across to you today. Um, he says, and he, he was a Christian growing up, left the church for like 20 years, uh, and then came back, uh, to being a Christian. He says, I'm a Christian because of that moment on the cross when Jesus, drinking the very dregs of human bitterness, cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I know, I know, he was quoting the Psalms. And who quotes a poem when being tortured? Uh, the words aren't the point. The point is that he felt human destitution to its absolute degree. The point is that God is with us, not beyond us, in suffering. I'm a Christian because... I understand that moment of Christ's passion to have meaning in my own life. And what it means is that the absolutely solitary and singular nature of extreme human pain is an illusion. I'm not suggesting that ministering angels are going to come down and comfort you as you die. I'm suggesting that Christ's suffering shatters the iron walls around individual human suffering, that Christ's compassion makes extreme human compassion to the point of death even possible. Human love can reach right into death then, but not if it is merely human love. Such a realization should ease loneliness, even for the griever who is left alone. It should also in time help to propel one back into life. Well, I hope you were able to get that, especially this this one line that God is with us, not beyond us, and human suffering. Uh, and there he was on the cross at absolute destitution, as Wyman says, crying out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And it's not, uh, it's not, he was, he was not feigning suffering. He was actually suffering on that cross. 
and you want to know about unity with Christ, Christ came in incarnate form and uh, took on human flesh and suffered in the way that we were and even beyond us. And so when we suffer, know that our God has also suffered as we do. And that's his unity uh, with us. And if I just wish that the guy who's a real person in that movie that it's based on, I can't remember his name, and Into the Wild, had heard and understood that news. You know, when he were, was out in the wild trying to escape it all, and yet the pain was still there uh, living in his memories because we can't get away from it on our own, trying to sort of go out into the wild. Uh, it only goes away uh, through the mediation of Jesus Christ. I was at um, Adam Young's uh, diaconal ordination uh, earlier this week. Adam's on uh, staff with us, and um, they they have the examination during the, the service, and um uh, when they, when the bishop asks him, you know, are you ready to do this thing? Um, and uh, it's a deacon's ordination, so a deacon is a servant ministry. And uh, one of the lines in there just struck me uh, that I, you know, I've, I had this ordination too, but I've long forgot. Um, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are to serve all people, particularly the poor, the weak, the sick, and the lonely. Uh, the poor, the weak, the sick, and the lonely. Well, that is, that's us, isn't it? You know, uh, uh, that, that's all of us. That's, that's those of us who've come here tonight, you know, because we're in, in need of some good news in our poverty, in our weakness, in our sickness, and our loneliness in, in the wild. Um, I was at um, a, a, a service in New York City, my friend's church, uh, when I was in town there, and I was so blown away. It was an Episcopal church, and it was the absolute most diverse congregation of people I'd ever seen in worship. Like, period. Period. Nonetheless, in an Episcopal church, you know, which is often a very lily-white sort of environment. But it was in New York City, and just so diverse. And you want to know why? Because they're a church. They don't say this in their literature, but I know this because I know their ministry. They're a church for losers. You know, they're a church for losers. The message is constantly that contact, that content. We're the church for the poor, the weak, the sick, and the lonely. You know, come all ye who are in poverty, weakness, sickness, or loneliness. And there they all were. So you want to do ecumenical ministry? Preach the gospel. You know, preach that message. And people from all walks of life will come around it in unity and I hope to God that the Advent is that kind of place. I really do. And especially here at the five o'clock, you know, I'm thinking more and more about like, what's our mission here at the five o'clock service? Well, we could put it on that, uh, that line right there from the diaconal uh, uh, ordination that, you know, if you're poor, weak, sick or lonely, this is a place for you. This is a place for you to come uh, drink the living water of eternal life and be refreshed. And so maybe that describes you uh, in some, some way. You know, maybe you've been having a good day and that's okay, but there will, you know, tomorrow will be a new day, you know, and you'll feel that. Something will happen. Something is up ahead and know that, um, that you're in the right place, that this is exactly the message uh, we need to be hearing all the time and to gather around that idea, not about some abstract ideas about institutions, and wouldn't it be nice if we're one? We can only be one uh, around the Word of God. And so in just a minute, we're going to stand after we sing, I believe, and affirm our faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed, uh, which is a a historic, ecumenical, and orthodox document. Um, So it's so easy to sort of say it in a perfunctory manner, you know, 
like uh, just sort of go through the motions and know that when you're reciting uh, something like that, that I hope that it sort of speaks into those places of your life, um, that uh, we might gather around it in unity, not just because it's an orthodox document, but let it be a reassurance that God is with you, that God is uh, with you in unity through Jesus Christ. And because of Jesus Christ, we have the love of the Father. Amen.